0: This is literally my job as a CEO to do that. So (laughs) part of it is really great communication. Communication is a thing that you just have to be good at to be a solid leader. You have to be able to communicate clearly. You have to be able to communicate the why as well. So I'm, I'm a really big believer in a lot of like Simon Sinek's work around the infinite game, the start with why, and just having a strong purpose in mindset. So his whole idea is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. People don't buy Apple computers and Apple phones because they work, they buy it because Apple makes great products and that's exactly what they wanna deliver. That was Jack Nadlieri, CEO
1: and founder at Panther Labs. Jack's time working as a part of the cyber incident response team at Airbnb inspired both his creation of their products at Panther Labs and their core mission. I love working with founders who create products and companies to solve problems that they've themselves have experienced as practitioners, and Jack is exactly that. Jack is delightful, inspiring, humble, and hilarious. I'm a huge fan and I think that after this episode, you will be too. Welcome to this week's episode of Capital Geek. Good morning, Jack. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. It seems like uh, destiny got in our way a few times, but I'm, I'm glad to finally see you live and be able to record. Likewise. Happy Friday as well. Happy Friday. I uh, didn't sleep a lot last night. I've got a bad back and sometimes it flares up, but uh, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Maybe do a little fishing, get outside get some sunshine. It should be a good time.
0: Yeah, it's a nice uh, break from being inside on the computer all day.
1: Hey, I want to get all into Panther Labs and, and what you guys are doing there. I think it's super special. But as you know from listening to the show, we always like to start with getting to know our guests a little bit. So maybe to start, you could just introduce yourself and then I'll kind of ask you some questions. We'll go from there.
0: So I'm, I'm Jack Naglieri. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Panther Labs. We were founded out here in, in the Bay Area in uh, 2018. And our whole mission is to help security teams detect and respond to breaches at scale. I've been working in security for about 10 years and my whole background is in incident response forensics, application security, things like that. I started the company after working in the industry for a long time and just constantly struggling to use the tools that I had at my disposal for doing detection at scale, which requires collecting a ton of data, putting it somewhere and analyzing it to identify things that could lead to a breach or responding to a breach and trying to answer all the questions of what happened. So after many years of using tools that were very difficult to really fit at that scale, we built our own um, tool at Airbnb. It was open source project called StreamAlert. And that became the the precursor to what we're doing at Panther, which is building security analytics in a way that's cloud native based on things like detection as code, like using Python, and then putting all of this data into a data lake, which allows us to basically run at almost infinite scale. Fun fact, we've actually had no one go beyond the limits of scale yet in our product. So wow. that's pretty, that's a big bragging
1: point. Yeah, Yeah,
0: it is. I mean, it's never broken because of scale. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And I think, the reason that it's like that is because when we built Panther we kind of rethought of everything from from zero to one and we were like, Okay, the fundamental problems are just antiquated architectures and because the cloud is this like very amazing ecosystem that's like constantly changing. We find that there's more and more times that everything's going up the stack now. So, you know, it used to be virtual machines were the things we managed, right? And then even before that, it's like we no we'd rack servers. And then now it's just going further and further and further up to where you have like serverless and you're like, "No, we just have applications that are going to run for us and we're not going to worry about anything." And that's that's serverless, that's lambda, that's Kinesis, that's SQS, like these services that run. So we really started using those and using the power of the cloud to our advantage for security. And that's why we get the, all the benefits of scale and uh, none of the overhead of operations. So it's just a really great balance. There's of course the cost component that you have to manage there, but we keep finding that it's still miles ahead of, of managing any servers yourself. And our whole thesis is that security teams should focus on security and not worrying about operations and i think with the move to SaaS, just generally in in the industry it just it makes so much sense security teams shouldn't be running their own software honestly most teams anywhere shouldn't be running their own software unless it's like absolutely necessary or unique to the business anyways very long intro but uh (laughs) that's a little bit of what we do and and what i've been working on and thinking about lately
1: you know there are about a hundred things in what you said that i want to double click on so I'm gonna come back to getting your background in a minute and just not lose some momentum here. A few years ago, if someone would have asked me about the future of cybersecurity, I would have probably been one of those guys that said that SIMs are on their way out and that we have to find a new way to, to think about managing security data. And you know, not long after that, Sentinel One came out with a very successful IPO, proving that you can be successful in the business. And then you guys came around and just reinvented the whole concept of security uh, incident and event management in a, in a really revolutionary way. And I, I love what you said, because this technology as a use case has been around for a really, really long time. And You know, the first sim I used was a client server app installed on a server that I that I rat mounted, like you mentioned. And we had to worry about scaling in a very physical way. What caused you to stop and say, you know, maybe we should sort of deconstruct what we're trying to do here and take a new approach based upon today's technology?
0: So I can't take full credit for the idea because the side that I contributed to was primarily on the on the data side. So when I joined Airbnb, the team that I had joined, um, one person in particular who now actually works at Panther, he had this idea of using Lambda for doing the, the analysis portion, because the main problem that every security team has with SIMS is that they're slow. And they're slow because when you put a lot of data in them, the data has to get indexed and you have to search back through that index to find matches on the data and things like that. So we were just kind of over that. And we were like, we don't want to wait an hour for a result. We want to know now because... In the era of cloud, in the era of using software for compromising companies and uh, really crawling through cloud infrastructure, you have to be fast. Like the name of the game is speed, especially in security. It's the same thing at startups too, right? It's like you got to move fast and and really like do as much as you can in the shortest amount of time. So it was his original idea to utilize Lambda for that because the way that Lambda works is it gets invoked in sort of like a streaming fashion. You'd send data into some bus, like Kinesis or SQS, which is like the equivalent of like Kafka sort of system. And streaming analysis has been around for a long time, but it's always been very complex to deploy. And there's no way that a security team has the expertise or the time to really spin something up and maintain it over time and scale it too. It's just very challenging. But again, with serverless, all of the ops overhead goes away. And then we have this ability to run really complicated streaming architectures on very simple mean, right? It's like we can spin some Terraform code up and then now we can process a billion events a day or something, right? And it's remarkable. So that tech was very new at the time and like serverless was just starting to emerge 2015ish i think is when lambda went ga and his idea was like let's feed data let's feed security data through this and let's use things like python because they supported python and java i think were the only two at the time maybe Node.js. and let's use this to do detection and then let's send a ping to slack when there's a hit and That was his idea. We ended up building it. We open sourced it in January 2017. And then, you know, Airbnb Eng wrote a blog on it that really helped propel that project and get more eyes on it from a lot of other companies. And then the other side of this, though, that's really important is that you need the the retention piece. So when I was thinking a lot about the data, it was like, okay, we need to have some way of, of basically classifying and normalizing this data. So we wrote this classifier system. It would basically guess what the log type was. It would normalize it into a map and then it would put it into a data lake, which at the time was just S3. And then this idea of reading data from S3 into something like Presto emerged with the GA of Athena, which was Amazon's like serverless data warehouse platform. Mm-hmm. And then that's where, where I started to spend more time because I realized like I kind of had an aha moment when I was at Airbnb, which was like, oh my gosh, like this is purely a data-based problem. It's not just ops. It's not just the Python. It's also the data element, which is really the core of everything that we're doing here. So we even knew at that time that the you know, the Athena architecture had its limits. But it was still a really important moment because it sort of proved that it would work. And then obviously many years later with Panther, we're using Snowflake. And Snowflake is, is a remarkable system for managing data. It's extremely fast. It's extremely high scale. And it's an entire company dedicated to solving that problem. And I think that goes a long way if you compare that to Amazon, right? Amazon's, you know, an incredible company. AWS, I mean, not Amazon.com, but obviously it's the same thing. But Amazon's great at a lot of things. Snowflake is amazing at one thing. And that was really a game changer for us when we started to adopt that. But just this idea of like, hey, let's use cloud native services. Let's use a different architecture fully from what exists. That's kind of like the 10x rule that I think is working for us. So that's kind of a little bit of the origin story of how all that happened. And then when I started Panther, I brought different people around me who had different sets of experiences. So I hired two guys from Amazon who had basically built the same type of system at Amazon. And I was on a call with one of them the other day. And I was like, remind me again, like, what was the scale you were running at? And he's like, oh, yeah, we were processing 10 million events a second. And it was like 670 terabytes of data per day. And I was like, it's a lot. That's a lot more yeah. than what I've ever done. <laughs> so those are the guys who built our system. And that's why I say like no one's broken because of scale in terms of like data log volume. And it's just because no other company really needs to operate at that scale yet. I think it'll get to that point or it becomes more mainstream because data volumes are continually rising. That's not a surprise. As more people adopt the cloud, as things scale, as companies grow, it just becomes more chattery and more noisy. And then there's obviously a security team preference of like what data do you want to collect? Do you want to collect all your production netflow data? because that is like an astronomical amount of data is it important for detection not really is it important for instant response yes absolutely so a lot of sims there's never even an option you never even had the ability to just put that data somewhere because it was so massive and then that's when the data problem comes in it's like there's just no way we can do anything with this because we have to etl the data we have to worry about partitioning it and storing it and It's just a very complex data problem, and the goal with Panther is to effectively abstract away all of that difficult ETL work and just say, hey, you have a bucket of data, you have a CloudWatch log stream, you have an SQS, you have an API token, you have whatever it is, right? We'll take that data, we'll, we'll clean it for you, we'll normalize all the event times, we'll do all the hard data things, and then all you have to do is just worry about searching the data, understanding it, creating your detections. And, and keeping your company safe. And like that's that's the evolution of where we want to be today. It's, it's where we have to be to be defensive in the future as well. Because if we don't have that data, then we can't answer questions when things go wrong. And that's a horrible place to be in, right? You never, ever want to be in a position where someone else tells you you got breached. And then you're yeah. like, I don't know how or why we got breached because I don't have the data. There's no reason why we have to live in that world today there is tech that exists and i like to think that we're the ones investing in in that next generation of technology and i never used the phrase next gen sim by the way because i think that there was a wave of those companies mm-hmm. really emerged it never really changed anything in my opinion i think it was just like kind of the same tech with like a different spin on it but like ultimately it was kind of the same thing and the approach and the bet that we're taking is that security and detection and monitoring and all those things is more of like a DevOps and software engineering and like data-oriented problem, and that's the approach that we're taking there. And then those are the primitives that Panther has. It's definitely a different experience for a lot of people, and if you don't have that background, it can feel daunting. But for the teams who do know Python and are savvy enough to understand SQL and, and these things, which honestly aren't aren't super complex concepts overall. I mean, I think most security people have always done some level of like Python scripting. And I always relate it back to when I was an analyst and I had to just like manually copy log files from systems and then write a Python script to like load each line, you know, and, and basically the equivalent of like grep to find like did an attacker come in and run this command that we know is associated with them? Like, and that same concept just gets applied now in a much more stable fashion. And then the the SQL side, I think also is, goes towards the standards, standardization part. Same with Python, right? It's like, you don't necessarily need to learn a specific language to Panther. We don't have like some Panther query language. It's literally just Python and SQL. And these are repeatable skill sets that you can use outside of our platform. And if the theory is that, you know, scale is continually, it's always going to rise. You have to become an engineer. You have to have that mindset in order to really survive like going forward. I like to think that we're promoting those primitives and we're helping teams just up level their own skills in general. And then for, you know, the people who just don't have the time to do that, we'll invest a lot in workflows on top of that data. But I think solving these these problems that I'm talking about around data lakes and and normalizing your data and having a way to analyze it in the stream, those are very difficult problems. They're very, very, very hard to solve. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of tribal knowledge to even understand the problem set. And then there's no reason security teams should do that on their own anymore. So that's our whole thesis. You know, Jack, you've made some
1: decisions that are sort of well beyond your years in terms of your experience level and One of the things that stands out to me is that you've sought out people who have scaled aspects of the business before to extreme levels to help you bring them in to scale your business. And from an engineering discussion, I think that was really important that you did that early on. But I also really like the fact that what you said is that, hey, rather than reinvent the wheel and come up with a Panther query language, we're going to just standardize on Python and SQL. Because that decision allows you to scale your user base rapidly in a way that you wouldn't if they had to learn a brand new skill set in order to use the app. You've worked both as a CEO running a company, building the product, and you've worked as an IR person sort of doing instant response. Talk to us a little bit about the experience of being an IR person using a traditional old school product and how that differs from using Panther
0: today. Like walk us through a scenario and how it would play out in both worlds. It's just so different. (laughs) Going back to my days in IR, I mean, it's kind of what I was describing, right? Where in those days, I mean, I think it's actually hard to compare one to one because there's a completely different set of tool sets even available to us on the data collection side. And I was explaining to this to someone the other day because I've just been talking about our, our origin story quite a lot. And... It goes back to, you know, we literally didn't even have tools like OS Query then. We had no way of getting structured data at that scale. So we had to write our own sets of tools. And when I was at Yahoo, it was a very unique infrastructure in that it was just so massive. And they'd been around for so long, they'd built a lot of custom stuff. There was no other option at the time. Eventually, they migrated to things like Chef, and they migrated to other things. And and a big project of mine was to deploy tools there that would give us that structured data. But early on, it was really whatever we could get into, into Splunk, and I worked on massive logging pipelines. And you know, once we got it into Splunk, it was it was kind of cool. But you know, there weren't a lot of like direct support or primitives that I ever experienced that allowed me to like structure and understand the data. It was more of just like, cool, it's in Splunk and I can search it, but it's just me clicking around and, and trying to interact with this data in a way that's useful. But you know, I think before we would we would create these searches, it would run periodically. Sometimes we would get hits. And then if we got hits, we would get a page. We would go in and look at it and be like okay this is actually bad or this is actually nothing we were really big at that time on on threat intel and really like using threat intelligence like hashes, ips domains etc to just try to identify compromise that way there's always a set of false positives with it right it's like at the end of the day it's like someone like using like torrenting like game of thrones or something stupid just like why did i wake up for this this is like a waste of time <laughs> that's happened to me a
1: few times when i was in the military i get a call at two o'clock in the morning that their claim was the internet was down of course which wasn't the case but I you know I had an engineer who had somehow hacked into a remote server and emailed himself thousands of pornographic images onto the air force base and this was a time in in tech when file sizes over a megabyte when attached to emails tend to clog things up and so my DNS and mail server at the time was as big as most people refrigerators today and it just stopped working and, and when I finally logged into it, there were just thousands of these messages filling up the queue and they couldn't process. That was a rough morning to get woken up, especially in a secure environment where that person ended up having to lose his job in the military <laughs> over that incident. It seems to me that when I was doing incident response many, many, many years ago, it was sort of real time. It was like, hey, there's an incident happening right now. We saw this event. Show me what else I can learn about that. And it occurs to me that with Panther, you're able to take a more holistic approach to say, based on this data set, what is really happening? Where should we be spending our time? What kind of feedback do you get from users who have been you know, out there in the world for a while and are now using Panther and are changing sort of how
0: they go about their daily business? Yeah. So going back to a little bit of what your prior question was as well, there's a lot of overhead that you just have to go through. When you're going from zero to one with security data and the fact that you don't even have to think about it anymore is a huge win. What I mean is like when I would send data into Splunk, I would have to extract the data and I would have to go through that process of of pulling all the fields out that I wanted. And that's just such a waste of time, to be honest. And there should just be a product that does that for us. So the, the biggest difference from going from that world to the world that we're in now and even in the intermediary, which was StreamAlert, just having that structure from day one is so helpful and it allows you to just connect the dots a lot easier. So feedback that we get a lot is this is exactly what we've been trying to build or this is exactly what we need. And I hear this from like really big companies like GitLab or Coinbase or whoever else it is. Right. That generally makes me really happy. They saw the same thing as us. But we just happen to spend a lot more time on it. And now they're getting those benefits. The structure provided by a system like what we've built and the opinions that we're injecting into it, too. It's like, hey, we think that you should ETL, all the data should get ETL'd. We think that we should extract all the indicators. We think that, you know, we should apply these baseline python detections on it you know we think that you should use outputs like asana or like PagerDuty or whatever it is that you have and then oh we think that you should be able to pivot on these indicators and answer more questions you know like we're going to get more opinionated over time and that's really the purpose of the company is to not just build a general solution it's to build a security monitoring platform that's our entire purpose and it's very different purpose from if you're using something like a generalized log platform because their purpose is to get data in and to search it that's fine. That's their entire purpose, right? But that doesn't work for security because in security, you have a completely different mission. Your mission is to investigate and answer these critical questions and answer them very quickly. The other big difference that I saw was the real time aspect. It's just a very different experience because you're seeing the events as they stream in and then you're getting that very quick feedback. And that was never a thing in the in the old world. You know, you have to wait an hour, we'd have to wait two hours, we'd have to wait however long or you know, for the systems or for the companies that we even had the privilege of having like a big data platform to our disposal, that'd be like often multiple hours of time. And we'd have to ask someone else, hey, can you run this query for me? Because I don't understand how to actually issue it. You never want to be in that position. So the structure is the biggest difference, the real-time element, and then the scale element is the biggest thing too. It's like, hey, let's turn on this like super noisy source, but let's have it, you know, and let's use it to our advantage when we're doing investigations. And let's join that to other things and get that context. And I think the context is also a huge thing that's a massive win so that's really the biggest difference that i saw as an as an incident responder
1: you know i think it's interesting because when i hear you describe the advantages of panthers products they're not big asks other than the fact that they've been impossible for so long like if you were just starting out you would say well of course it should do these things and the challenge has been that products in this space for 20 years have just not delivered on many of these things because of the underlying technology underneath you know the reason i love this job and and doing this podcast is i get to meet people like you who are building technology that allows other businesses and the industry as a whole to scale and move forward what's fun about that is when you run in these circles you hear the same companies mentioned over and over and over and these companies are either having to build technology that is not their core product in order to enable a business function or they found someone like Panther Labs who that they can lean on for that function and that lets them accelerate. And when you get into the middle of an ecosystem of industry leading companies that are going out to change the world and you find that there's someone like you who is a bird of a feather, who has a similar mind, who understands the problems that the environment is facing and has built a real solution, I think it makes everybody go faster. And so
0: to me, that's, that's what I find just super fascinating about this Mostly a lot of people have failed to solve the problem. I think part of it comes from the fact that I had such a unique experience. There's only a handful of companies in the world that I could have ever had that experience at. And Yahoo is one of them. I think like Facebook, Google, like the Fang companies, those are unique problems that they only have, like only those types of companies have. So in a lot of ways, like that progression from the the bigger monolithic company to a more agile, but still very hyper-growing company like Airbnb gave us that knowledge kind of early and and we sort of saw into the future a little bit and we're like, all right, this is going to continue to be a thing. So why don't we build for that? And I think that's a really key difference between us and a lot of other people who've tried. We just had that unique experience. And we sort of, you know, we had a good guess on how to solve it. So it's like that's really how we ended up where we are today.
1: I think you're right that had you not been at somewhere like Airbnb or Uber or some other very fast growing modern organization, you wouldn't have had the epiphany. But I think also if you'd been there five years ago, the technology wouldn't have existed to really Sort of make your ideas come true, and so it feels like it's a combination of the right person with the right ideas and the right background at the right time, when the industry and you know cloud operations and services are available to sort of make that a reality. And what's beautiful about it, you know, with the success that you're reaping now, you know, you'll be able to help drive future advancements by your cloud providers to enable future growth that you guys
0: will experience. Absolutely. It's always like a right place, right time moment to an extent, right? The thing I always talk about internally at the company is that to, to build a successful startup, you need a great market, you need a great product, and you need a great team. Those are the three parts of the stool that have to exist. And if you don't have one of them, probably not going to work or it's going to be really painful maybe it's right place right time maybe it's i got so fed up with struggling for so many years and i was like (laughs) i think i know how to fix this and i want to try and i think that's part of it too and i mean i'll be honest like there was definitely moments that i thought that uh it wasn't going to work because if you think about going up against the incumbents it's like if i'm starting a company to go against google you know it's just like how are you going to do that are you really better are we going to trust you? It's going to be hard, right? Trust is a very difficult thing to overcome in security because you have to prove yourself somehow. But it's a chicken and the egg problem when uh, you go to a security team and you're like, hey, send us your security data. And they're like, no one uses you. I'm like, well, I need someone to have faith in us. <laughs> I think going open source was really key for us. You know, we actually went closed source as well because we realized later that it's sort of antithetical to the idea of security teams shouldn't worry about operations. But going open source, I think, was a really important move for us because I think it did allow us to build that trust initially. And that actually did lead to our first handful of customers. But then what we ended up seeing down the line further after that first year was that people were just coming to us irrespective of the project. And that was like the light switch in my head where I was like, okay, SaaS, just go on on SaaS. And that's what we've been doing since then. And we closed sourced the project just because there really wasn't any point of it being open source. You know, I think there's a lot of benefits around transparency and code quality and, you know, whatever it is you want to say to sell open source. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you're not getting contributors from all around the world using it, I don't see as much an emphasis in doing open source because, it, again, at the end of the day, security teams are just like, we just have to protect our business. Like, that's our biggest priority. And most people aren't savvy enough to understand how complex a lot of the stuff is that we actually do. So it's like, there's really no benefit to it. Of the platform being open source, our detections are still open source, though. So you can see the built-in rules, the built-in policies that that we have based off of certain standards like CAS and MITRE and whatever else it is. And the team's like constantly developing more. Yeah, I mean that that early trust moment's so difficult. And there was absolutely a moment that I thought that the company was going to die. I had like three months of runway and I was raising money and no one, no, one, not even investors would put their faith in us, right? It's like, eh, yeah, I don't know. You're going up against some big players and it's such a nuanced problem that they don't quite understand. And now looking back at those times, it's really interesting because once you have product market fit, the tables completely flip. And not only do you get people coming to you saying, hey, I want to use the product, you also get investors coming to you as well saying, hey, what you're doing is important. We want to be a part of it. So it's a very interesting world now that we live in where we have a group of people who are invested in our success right? They're invested in our ability to keep growing. And there's people who are joining the company to help with that. You know, there's one quote that I've read this year, which is like, one indicator of a successful company is the ability for people to join that company and support their mission. And we've grown from 22 people to 75 people in a year. This year? Less than a year. Wow. You know, our number of customers has grown proportionally to that as well. And, you know, we've had the opportunity to work with some amazing teams and get some really awesome feedback from them. And it's this really good virtuous cycle that happens because our team grows. We can support more people. We can support their feedback. We can incorporate it and we can learn really fast. And like, again, time, going back to what I was saying about time, it's like time is the most important thing right now. You just have to move quickly. And it's the most important thing in, a, in, in security, right? It's like time and trust. Those are very important things. And they apply in a lot of different context, contexts. So I think about it in, in, in so many so many different ways. But I think about it in building a company. I think about it in protecting companies. I think about trust in, in working with different people, figuring out who's a good fit for the company, who's a good fit as an investor. Trust is, is a very multifaceted concept that like I've been so fascinated with lately. And breaking it into its certain components and then being able to pick out like certain situations where I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't trust that person because of this. Or, you know, I I was able to see that they weren't being as transparent as, as, you know, they should have been or their actions were actually oriented towards themselves versus towards me or towards others. Right. So. That concept's been really uh, intriguing to me lately. But. It's, it's interesting to me
1: that I mean, you guys are in hyperdrive. There, there's no doubt about it. You're scaling extremely fast. What I found interesting about your story is that it is hard early on when you're in infrastructure, whether it's security or any sort of operations, to get big companies to trust you until you have a, a brand. But what you did was you short-circuited that problem by going open source And building some support from the engineers who would actually be using the technology and you know even though it only lasted for a while with that first key part what it says to me is that you had sort of a product-led growth mindset starting out early which says hey let's get user adoption first let's focus on people using the product seeing value building trust and then we'll figure out how to make money from it later we did the same thing at solarwinds we gave away free tools Uh, open source wasn't really a big thing back then other than linux but back in the late 90s we gave away open source or excuse me free tools for a couple of years before we ever sold a product. And it it really allowed us to sort of win the hearts and minds of the network engineers and cybersecurity professionals we were serving. And it made it so much easier to sell product to their employers once you had a fan base. I think part of what's been driving this massive growth has been while you were figuring this out and bringing your products to bear, the cybersecurity market and the threat landscape have just ballooned on us. And it's been a rough couple of years for organizations around the globe in terms of cyber attacks and, you know, APTs out there continuing to go after them. Talk to us a little bit about how the growing need and the growing importance
0: of cybersecurity sort of shapes your go-to-market. It's a good question. I think in a lot of ways, it's it's just a well-accepted fact. I don't think I've ever had to convince someone that cybersecurity is important. In fact, they're just coming to us and they're like, oh my God, we need this. Like, help us. <laughs> so... I think from a company building perspective, it's different, right? Not everyone has that background. So when you're building a company, you have to tell them, hey, this is why we're here. This is what we're solving. And this is a world that I come from, right? A lot of what I talked about on here, manually copying files, manually running Python scripts and trying to find the needle in the haystack and all that stuff like those are the things that i try to tell my team so they understand how to help in our mission so i think in that sense it's more emphasized internally than externally because the people coming to us have that knowledge already it's good for go-to-market in a lot of reasons i mean it'll be perpetually growing forever probably right like this Problem of we're moving to the cloud. We need to protect our assets, and we need to keep our PII safe. We need to keep our IP safe. Whatever it is, like that's never going to change. We need to keep our hardware safe. We need to, you know, know when someone clicked a bad link, got fished. There's always going to be people who want to take advantage of others out there, right? And we're building the capability for those teams to respond to that, and. Again, it's not anything that we have to really convey the importance of when when we're trying to find leads. Like people know it's important. I mean, we obviously have to convey like our differentiators, right? Going back to trust, it's like, hey, we're a new thing. You can trust us. These are the problems we're solving. Here's some other companies that believe in us. Like that's going to be an interesting journey that we go through just in the next you know five ten years, right? But I think more and more people, as they run to the skill and the ops and like all the flexibility problems, they'll they'll start to have their aha moments as well. But when I think about cybersecurity, the importance of it, again, it goes back to our ability to tell the mission to to our team internally, tell it to investors so they understand it. So it's really just like giving them a sense of like, hey, this is why we're actually here and this is what we're solving. The market is continually growing. I think it was like 5% year over year or something like it's compound.
1: Yeah, it's growing insanely. and And I think that one of the challenges that many startups face, if they're wildly successful, is that they sort of drown in opportunity. And when you have so much inbound demand and you're trying to figure out how to scale the organization, how to scale the team, how to make sure everyone understands the culture and what you're trying to accomplish, you're trying to scale engineering in the back end, while there's this mountain of demand that's just growing because you've got a product that everybody wants, it can be daunting. What are some things that you guys are doing to help the team stay in sync with the mission?
0: Oh, this is like my job. This is literally my job as a CEO to do that. So... (laughs) Part of it is uh, is really great communication. Communication is a thing that you just have to be good at to be a solid leader. You have to be able to communicate clearly. You have to be able to communicate the why as well. So I'm, I'm a really big believer in a lot of like Simon Sinek's work around the infinite game, the start with why, and just having a strong purpose just to begin with, right? Like that's a big difference in, in mindset. So his whole idea is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. People don't buy Apple computers and Apple phones because they work. they buy it because Apple makes great products and that's exactly what they want to deliver. They want to deliver amazing experiences to their customers. It's a very different cause than you know a company not to like you know hate on another company like HP or Dell but when you think of those, you're like, yeah, they make computers but yeah. Apple wants to like build a, build an experience. I like that idea a lot of having a strong mission and having a very defined why. So when I think about scaling a company, that's such a core piece of it. And it's giving context so people understand that. The other thing is building a great culture really revolves around behaviors. So it's not really just like, hey, we're going to put these values on the wall and we're going to help people follow it. Like When I went through and made our first, I mean, it's the same set now, but when I made our values, I took it a lot from what people were already doing. And I took it from what I was doing. I took it from what I saw in the team. And then I just codified them. I had an all-hands yesterday, and I broke them down in two different groups, actually. And I separated them based off of virtues and values that were based on trust and some that are based on performance. Ultimately, this is another Simon Sinek saying is that if you're going to build a high-functioning team, they have to have high trust and high performance. And high performance is technical competency plus grit. So it's like you have some skill, you have some experience, and you have the courage and the stamina and the drive to just go right trust is a completely different thing it's what i was saying before it's like credibility reliability intimacy self-orientation like these things play into trust so our our six and i'll break them into two groups of three customer first is our first one right it's like we wouldn't be here without our customers so it's appreciation for them but it's also empathy and supporting them um security teams again are really struggling all the time to just do their jobs it's being uh A solid partner to them uh, taking their feedback in incorporating it and just kind of being there when they need us being an owner is the other part so being an owner is our second value and this is honestly one of my favorite values as a founder because it's all about responsibility and autonomy so it's like when i hire someone into the team to do a job i give you your autonomy to do your job and if you don't break that trust like things are great we have a very successful time together and you know You make hard decisions on your own. You have that ability to do that. And I I give you that autonomy. But also being an owner works in the opposite direction where it's like you as the manager, you have to be an owner in delegating. You need to give that responsibility to other people as well. And I love that concept so much. And it's really about like seeing things out all the way to the end as well. Being an owner, you're going to do a thing and you're going to see it end to end. The third one's open and transparent. So this is going back to trust. This is one of the key components of trust transparency. So explaining the why, explaining the how. Don't sugarcoat anything. Talk about things that are bad. I think there's a tendency to just bring the good things up all the time. But that, I think, is not reality. There's always a balance in life. There's ebb and flow. There's chaos and there's order. And if you don't talk about the chaos and you just kind of ignore it, then you're really missing the point of like really what's happening. And you don't ever learn that way. There's always going to be stuff that goes wrong. And the most important thing is just to address it like, hey, this happened. This is why it happened. This is what we'll do to make sure it doesn't happen again. But let's call it out how, how it is. You know, I think that's really important. Never to ignore those things. And then the other for performance is the one I said, which is prioritization. The way I always explain this is like urgency and importance. If a task is not one of those things, don't do it. Or if it's not both of those things, don't do it. And I think about that every single day. Move fast and iterate. This is kind of a play on like Facebook's like move fast and break things, except I think they actually changed it because they broke too many things. Funny enough, they <laughs> had that massive incident this week. But this is just the idea of like ship fast, ship often, done is better than perfect, make decisions quickly that are very informed decisions. My primary job is to do exactly that. It's to take in information about, okay, should we make this sort of strategic business move? Should we go partner with this company? Should we hire this person or hire that person? Should we? you know work with this investor or that investor you know that these are all decisions that have an outcome that could could change your company right but it also applies to people in their their own role it's like hey we can spend 2 months working on this feature to get it out or we could spend like 2 weeks on it get it out get feedback and build something even better than we would have doing it in isolation and then the last one is seek to understand and that comes from the 7 habits of highly effective people it's a value that like I, I hold very close to my chest, but seek to understand and then be understood is the full value. And this is just this idea of be curious, be open, be humble, consider different perspectives, asking the question to yourself and, and really like looking within for answers. I was talking to my dad, who's a psychologist, and I asked him a question. I was like, are people inherently smart or do they get smarter over time? Because everyone likes to think, oh, you have an IQ, it's this number and it's static forever. I don't think that's valid. I think that the ability to be intelligent comes from your willingness to learn. And that's what he told me. That's exactly what intelligence is. It's someone's ability and willingness to learn new things. And people's unwillingness to learn new things is arrogance. And that shows a lot. And there's a lot of people that you could pick that out in. Like, oh, they're just refusing to accept this thing that's widely known. I don't agree with that person or I don't feel that person's as smart. So seek to understand is just that, That idea of like always be learning, always be pushing yourself because things are constantly changing. The market's changing. Like you were saying, the landscape is changing for attackers. Like you have to always be be iterating. These are the values that I see my team exhibiting all the time. And we have an internal kudos channel as well that allows people to recognize that for one another. That's great. And I love that. That's like one of the greatest like things for me to see as a founder. But when I think about scaling the company, like these values are really important to keep in mind. Because it's kind of an operating model. If you bring people in and they do these things, we'll probably be successful. You know, and I think it promotes a good culture of learning, of accepting things that are good and bad, pushing things ahead forward and building a team that's actually happy to work with each other. And that's really what my job is now. You know, it's funny that, you know, you even said going from IR to being a, a founder, that's such a different world right? And, and it goes from us building a product to make something work to, okay, we have to build a company and organization now to make that work. And those are very different mindsets. And in a lot of ways, I am so separated from product development these days. I'm more around like, hey, I know the problems at a high level we're trying to solve and I'll set the vision. But deep down in the weeds is just somewhere I haven't been in so long. And it's because I'm trying to solve bigger problems of like, how do we, not, not necessarily that it's more important, but like, it's a different problem set that like, I have to be responsible for, which is how do we just bring people around us to continue that mission of solving security problems for others, right? And that goes back into the context I was saying and, and being transparent and discussing things with the company that are happening. And being a leader is a very different experience just in general. You know, It's a very different set of pressure. It's a very different set of problems. And a lot of it, I guess, comes, comes back to these things like how well of a communicator are you? How honest are you with the people do they trust you it's a two-way street right it's easy for me to say like hey these are the six values but if i don't live up to them then i'm i'm being hypocritical so i always have to keep these in mind too and i have to lead by example so that's really like how i focus on scaling the company and helping those around me and making sure that my leaders are enabled and have what they need to do their job
1: i wish we had another hour this has been fantastic you know um (laughs) I wish whichever investors passed early on on Panther Labs could listen to this podcast episode and say, wow, I really missed out on that because you you yourself, Jack, are something special and what you're doing with this organization and, and the team you're putting together from what I've seen already is just stellar. And the transition from engineer to creator to leader can be difficult for some people. But once you've made it, at least for me personally, it's a role that you're gonna stay in the rest of your life because you get used to leading, to to building teams, to empowering people, and your personal sense of what self-worth and satisfaction kind of come from that. And so this has been a real joy today. Wow, I can't
0: believe we're already out of time. Uh, I don't even know what to say now. Part two coming soon, folks. <laughs> oh, I would be happy to chat more. I mean, you know this from, from doing companies as well. It's, it's, it's never a straight line. It's, it's so up and down and that's what I even tell investors that you know I want to work with someday. It's like I want to make sure that when we go into this, you're not just gonna you know flip on me when things go wrong because I know things are always gonna go wrong. And there's no way to prevent that, so like building trust with my investors is super important, and building trust with my team is the most important, right? They're the ones who are actually doing the 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 work. I'm the one who's sort of steering the ship, but at the end of the day it's like if the team isn't happy, then no one else is gonna be so. I'm responsible for those people who are responsible for the results. That's another Simon Sinek quote. And uh, it's a great way to think about leadership.
1: Well, I think that your team definitely knows how hard you worked during the ship. And the people I've talked to in the company just adore you and think the world of the, the job you're doing. But you're right, it, it is challenging. And establishing that trust with your investors can be really hard. One of the mistakes I see a lot of investors and early founders make is that they, they don't agree on sort of what the future would look like post-investment, how they work together, how they work through problems when they occur. Because if you're growing fast and you're pushing the envelope, you are going to hit stumbling points along the way.
0: Absolutely. Inevitable.
1: Well, Jack, this has been fantastic. Uh, we're out of time. I hate it uh, like crazy. Um, I'll have you back on the show soon. Thank you so, so much for being here. And this was, uh, I-, I can't wait to read the transcript and-, and learn a little bit more from you after this is over. Thanks so much. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate the time. That's it, everyone, and thank you for joining Capital Geek. Subscribe via Apple, Stitcher, or any platform where you usually find fantastic podcasts. Tune in again soon for another great episode of Capital Geek.